Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Republicans debate last night and apparently red-pilled America is anti-marriage. I'm Andrew Coppins. This is Critical Thinking. Yes, I am flying solo. In fact, I will be flying solo today, tomorrow, and next Monday. Pat is taking a extended break, well-deserved prior to the baby's arrival in the next couple of months. So with that being said, you get me and my analysis of things, folks. So we're going to start with the debate because everybody's going to be talking about it. Everybody's going to super analyze the debate. I have a very, very, very simple analysis of this debate, and it's this. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's exactly how I felt last night as we took in this debate. I, I, just... I felt dumber for having poured into the debate. I felt dumber having taken it any sort of serious because it was wholly unserious. In fact, it was terrible. It was horrible. Shame on Fox News. Shame on the people on that stage. And frankly, I honestly thought that Dana Perino was the most shameful of them all. She asked them to go full-on survivor with the others on the stage. Uh, write down a name who you think should be voted off the island. What is wrong with you? That was an absolute disgrace on every level last night. And I, I can't even get into... Oh, did you hear what this person said or that person said or this or that or whatever have you? Because I can't get past the candidates talking all over each other. Well, Andrew, that happens all the time. 
You're right. That does happen all the time. But if you want to have an honest, serious, open debate, you actually have to listen. You actually have to be an active participant. And an active participant is not somebody who wants to just talk to talk. I would suggest that about six, maybe five of those people on the stage were there simply to hear the sound of their own voice. Additionally, for Fox News, this was a terrible format. You try to ask a question about energy and you don't include a governor of one of the most energy-rich states of this country in North freaking Dakota? But What? You ask economic questions, but but then you don't actually hold the feet to the fire of anybody? And furthermore, most of us in the viewing audience could not hear the questions half the time. Not just because everybody was talking over each other on the stage, but because of the bad audio mixing, either in their ears or because of the acoustics of the the place that they were at in the Reagan library. Nobody apparently on the stage or at home could hear anything. Stuart Varney, I couldn't hear you. Couldn't understand most of what you were saying because his audio levels were super low and really hard to hear. It was hard for us at home. And Fox News, by the way, you have all the control over the volume levels and audio that we at home get to hear. And yet you couldn't get that right. Then we had Chris Christie and Mike Pence making themselves look just straight up, just show their ass to the American public. The Chris Christie, how many times did you practice the you're just Donald Duck line? And then Pence quipping that he's been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. Then we had Tim Scott and Nikki Haley going at each other like they were running for the governor of South Carolina on the stage. Bickering like children, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth over he said and she said and he did this and she did that in the state of South Carolina. Woof. Just woof. Now, as far as, well, Andrew, who do you think won the debate? I I, I guess if I'm picking anybody, it's going to be the combination of Doug uh, Burgum and Ron DeSantis. They came off as winners to me in so much as, well, they didn't actually just, you know, light themselves on fire or or make horses' asses out of themselves like everybody else on that stage. That's about as far as this analysis really needs to go. But I do have some analysis of Fox News here because I have a question. DeSantis, he was standing at the center of the stage but was either at or near the very bottom in the amount of questions asked of that individual? How does that happen? How? Here's the funny part. When you did ask him the questions, he commanded the stage. He commanded the moment. 
That's the reality of all of this. You know, the, the moment when Dana Perino asked them to go full survivor, right? He's the one who spoke up and said, nah, brah, uh, we're not doing that. Nah, no, no, nope, just no, not going to happen. Then he took the matter of pro-life front and center. Compare that with Mike Pence never actually answering the question asked of him if it had anything to do with something that might be tough for him to explain. And then just pivoting to whatever the hell he wanted. To, now, that's a classic debate uh, tactic all the time, yes. But the way he did it was so transparently phony that it was ridiculous. Also, after the debate, the MAGA forever types, right? They're coming out and they're saying, well, well, none of them are in Trump's league and they don't even add up to his polling numbers, right? So, so everybody get off the stage. Except for that's not how this works. What they're taking is the national polling numbers and how many times, if you are in the MAGA forever crowd and you are watching this show, if you're listening via podcast, if you're watching on our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. How many times do I have to tell you this? National polling means bupkis. It means nothing at all to this primary or any primary because primaries are state by state by state. The only thing that a national poll could potentially tell you is if somebody is increasing or decreasing in their support on a national level. We do not have a national Republican primary. We have state by state by state by state by state, 50 different state primaries or caucuses. 50 different combinations of ways that you get delegates to go to the GOP convention with. So, is it true that Donald Trump in the national polling would outpace if you combined every single person that was on that stage last night? Sure, that is true. By a couple of percent, that is true. But Iowa and New Hampshire, the first two places to vote, one in a caucus and one in a, in a regular primary, Trump would be behind the field in Iowa. He would be behind the field by something like 4 to 6% in New Hampshire. Trump would take losses if you just coalesced. You are not making the arguments you think you're making because if we're going to do that, the coalesced campaign and the person you're going to coalesce around is Ron DeSantis. And if everybody jumps into the ship, of Ron DeSantis, like you say that they should, right? We should just get out of the way. If everybody coalesces around that one other candidate, you lose in Iowa and New Hampshire and in multiple other states where Donald Trump doesn't lead the field. Now, speaking of Donald Trump, obvious question, where was he last night? He was in Detroit talking to UAW striking workers. 
and I use air quotes for those of you who are not watching on the Rumble channel. Except for he was speaking in front of a crowd about the strike. It just wasn't actually in front of anybody who is a real United Auto Workers striking worker. There are about 400 people in that crowd, by the way. Not a single one of them would self-identify as a member of the UAW. In fact, even some of them openly were stating to the press that were there that they were literally just handed signs by the campaign. And how did they find that information out? Because wouldn't it behoove you, if you were Donald Trump, right, to to put on that face of speaking to the American worker, the hardworking blue-collar factory worker, and I'm with you. It would behoove him to do that, wouldn't it not? Because one thing that we do know is that it's kind of funny how the inverting of the relationship of working class versus uh, upper management has kind of shifted in the last 20 or so years. Big business is friends of the Democrats. Big business is friends of upper management. The, the working stiff. Kind of more along the lines of populism and Republican Party today because only one of these parties re actually, actually represents any sort of populism. I don't agree with populism. That's the reality of that. But they couldn't find a single person because what were the journalists doing in these cases? They were attempting to find out why a UAW worker would support Donald Trump and, and, and have curious conversations. Not one of them. In fact, literally, there uh, there is on camera a moment in which a journalist interviews a woman holding up a UAW worker for Trump sign or whatever it was. She was not a UAW worker at all, and it turns out she was just handed a sign and told to hold it. There were multiples of those people. In a crowd of 400, you could not find 400 UAW workers that would come to this event and represent? You couldn't find 400? How about 40? A 1 in 10 chance of a journalist throwing the dart against the board and hitting the person that actually does support Donald Trump. They, they couldn't find one. But what are we doing? All of this leads to what Ron DeSantis did in the spin room afterwards, which is literally challenge Donald Trump to a one-on-one -on -one debate. A one-on-one. -on -one. Because here was the strongest moment of the entire night of anybody when Ron DeSantis literally looked in the camera and said to the American people, Donald Trump owes us an explanation as to his statements regarding life, regarding abortion, regarding compromise and and heartbeat bills being terrible, he literally lit Donald Trump on fire on that stage. That's the only moment that matters for me. In this entire debate, it was terrible. It was horrible. Overall, worthless. Totally, completely worthless. More importantly, this should have happened in October, not September. We should have another one come December. Because it turns out people are not really all that paying attention to things yet. So put it in October when people begin to start 
turning that switch on. Then again in December prior to the start of that season in January. And then do one in Iowa right before. This is not hard. But simply this. We were all dumber for having to have paid attention, taken it seriously. If you're not, as a quote-unquote conservative media outlet, going to take this seriously, what are we even doing? Why is the RNC still going to Fox News? Why are they not going to the Daily Wire or to the Blaze or to any other media outlet on the right and saying, host our debate, do something, Let's have at it. I, I just, I don't understand it. There was nothing gained. Nothing. Other than there were two adults on that stage, in my view. The rest of them, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, need to go away. They need to not be on that debate stage at all going forward. Period. Amen. They add nothing. They are not serious candidates. They exist only to, to, to chip away at Donald Trump. They are not in any way, shape, or form viable candidates. Can I make the argument that Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Doug Burgum? Yeah, but they, they probably all belong on that stage with Ron DeSantis right now. But we can do better. We should demand better of this party. And if this is what they're going to continue to give us, they deserve to die the slow, painful, and hopefully at this point in time, now sped up, we're at the end of this party. Because they're an absolute embarrassment. In a moment that is so serious in our societal history, delivering this as a party as candidates, as a media outlet, is an absolute, object failure. So, folks, from that moment of idiocy last night to the idiocy that has become Pearl Davis and this whole red pill movement that supposedly represents the youth conservatives of today or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Apparently now marriage. It's a terrible, horrible thing. Don't do it. Men, you're going to get screwed or something, except for you wouldn't get screwed. You would get screwed financially. So anyway, it goes a little something like this, folks. The red pill attack on marriage. It's just way too risky for men with no-fault divorces out there, the cost of your kids, and then, and then you would be saddled with those costs when the women experiences none of it because uh, no-fault divorce, you're going to be the one paying the alimony and, and child support and blah, 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 blah. And also, 75% of marriages are bad, ending in divorce or, or miserable lives. And divorces, they just suck the lives of men. And then... 
they in turn become terrible, bitter, embittered people. And that's no good for society, let alone the men out there. We don't want bitter, middle-aged men. Well, being the dumb person that I am, I decided to, I don't know, take a look. Let's take a look at where all of this is coming from, especially the stats around marriage and divorce in this country. First off, the red pillars have been on the 50-50, of marriages and in divorce train for a while. And a quick Google search will tell you that they do have a 50-50 shot at making a marriage work in America today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm just going to save this just put that in the the back of your mind. I'm going to save it for the end because this is absolutely going to blow your mind. But, but, but if you, if you say, uh, bullshit to that number, they say, well, actually, you know what? It's not really 50%. It's 75% of marriages. And then, and then actually, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about this, you actually have a better chance of winning the lottery than having a successful marriage or a marriage that's long lasting or a marriage that is, one time, which would mean that it is literally like 99.9 or 99% depending on what game you're playing, but he neither here nor there. So let's go back to that 75% number, right? 75% of marriages and in divorce or, or miserable lives for men because, because feminists have ruined all of this, right? Being a curious mind, a critical thinker, I was wondering, what, how, where does that 75% number come from? Where does that actually come from? Well, it comes from at law self-defense over on X. He posted the following, quote, it's not 50-50, that's only divorces. Add another 25% on the negative side for miserable men trapped in <clears throat> cheaper to keep her marriages, unwilling to risk financial destruction and loss of their children. Okay. Y you hooked me. Where are you getting that extra 25% number? Where are you getting it from? 
Well, you see, his proof is and has been on posting on X a Google search that notes 50% of first marriages end in divorce and then 60 to 67% of second marriages also end in divorce. Um, who, who wants to tell this guy that that, that, that does not equal 75% of marriages end in failure? This is not how that statistical analysis works in any way, shape, or form. Because in order for the assumption that he made, right? So 50% end in divorce. Another 25% for the miserable men that are trapped in cheaper to keep her marriages. That is not the number that he is quoting. He is quoting the number of people who are, or the statistical probabilities of people in all marriages, whether that's first or second marriages, right? He is absolutely not talking about the cheaper to keep her marriages. Okay? He is not talking about that. He cites a stat that is about marriage and divorce. The rate of divorce is absolutely higher the second time around, by the way. It absolutely is statistically true that that is the case. But in order, let's take him at face value here. Actually, what he really meant to say is that you add the two things up and you get not 50%, but 75%. In order for that assumption to actually be true, what needs to happen? Well, every single second divorce, every single divorced man in this country would have to be remarried and then get divorced at that 60 to 67% rate. Literally every single one of them would have to do that. And by the way, at 50% of the divorces, okay, so that's half. You would need another half to equal 25%, right, to get you there. Except for that's not true either. And is this actually happening that all men who get divorced the first time, remarry, and then go at 60, 67% rate? No, it's not even close to that number. Not even close. It turns out that, again, his assumption is that you have to add another 25% of marriages. So 50% and then another 25. So half of, half of the 50%. Right? So 50% of 50% would be 25% are miserable in their marriage. Guess what? There is no statistical proof of that being true at all. He's never provided it. I went and did a quick Google search. That number doesn't exist anywhere. Anywhere. At all. It's also, again, not the statistical analysis that he presented is not representative of his original argument, which, again, is that we have to lump all the terrible marriages that people are stuck in with actual divorces to get to the reason why 75% of marriages suck. 
And you can't take a chance on that. Uh, what? Okay, so in summation of this, there's zero, literally zero proof of any of that man's assumptions being true. Like literally none, not a single piece of statistical research, even again on Google. Not a single solitary ounce of proof. But, 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 but wait, 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 wait. Those stats are actually wrong, you see, because it's actually like, you know, 99%, as I mentioned before, closer to winning the lottery. And if you win the lottery, you win this great big grand prize, right? You've won Powerball. Except for your chances of winning Powerball are like one in like a trillion or one in 150 billion, depending on what you're playing, which is not 99%. It's more like 99.9%. But anyway, red pillars are telling you that to have a long-lasting forever marriage is like winning that lottery, right? Where's the proof? It is 100% speculation again. It is not based on any statistical analysis, any reality of marriages at all. None. So let's move forward. And actually backwards, because... They didn't want you to believe that it was 50%. It's actually worse. It's 77 or 75%. And then actually, if you really think about it, you're actually like winning the lottery to have a successful marriage. So that means 99 or 99.9%. .9%. Take your pick. But let's go back in the, the machine to the original argument that Red Pillars gave us. Fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce in America today. A bullshit. A bullshit. A bullshit. A bullshit. Why? Because, folks, I have been hearing that number since I was a toddler since I was old enough to remember that this exists. Hell, this goes back to at least the Bill Clinton, if not the George H.W. Bush, if not the last part of Ronald Reagan's terms in office. That's an impossibility. That means that the 50% number is at least static, meaning nobody... It hasn't changed. It doesn't fluctuate. It's been that way for 30, 40 years. I'm going to be 42 here in a little bit. For literally my entire life, that that number hasn't changed one iota. That is absolutely untrue in any way, shape, or form. What's the actual reality? What are stats telling us? What is the data giving us? Well, number one is that our best guess, because there's actually not really great data out there, it's really difficult to track this, but the best data is based on U.S. Census data, which tells us that 35% of American adults have been, that have been, that have been married, have been divorced, according to the most recent data, which is 2021. 
35%, not 50. Still terrible though, right? 35% of all marriages ending in divorce. That is a terrible set of odds for success for you and your marriage. So don't do it because it will ruin you. Also, a statistical fallacy because this is a, again, what do I always talk about when it comes to data? Is it correlation? Is it causation? You can't, you can't just assume that a number means something because, because of when we put everybody into the pile and it comes out that 35% of marriages end in divorce, does that mean that you have a 35% chance of your divorce or of your marriage ending in a divorce? No, it is not correlation nor causation because you cannot correlate your single personal situation to that of everybody else on the planet. Turns out that each of us have unique factors that add up to better or worse statistical odds of staying married or getting divorced. Now, look, I've only been married for just over five years, so I don't do not pretend that I know everything about the institution. But what I can say is things that make it much more likely for success include very fundamental things like sharing fundamental values. That doesn't mean that you share political values. It means that your principles, you, the things that you share are in common Things like how you see family, things like how you treat other people, just basic things on a day-to-day -day basis. What are your foundational values? Are they similar? Are they more similar than not? Number two would be having open and honest communication. That is an absolute reality. Those that have that open and honest communication can overcome some of the values or principles that might be a little bit different or work a little bit differently in their lives or in their brains, right? That open and honest communication about changes, about things that are going on in, in their own head, all of it leads to a foundation of success. Number three is sharing some faith. Because it, again, helps you overcome obstacles that are inevitably in every single marriage going to come your way. But if you know that you have roots and values, that you have faith, faith in each other, faith in God, especially God, because there are moments in which you have to ask for his prayerful answer. You have to understand what is going on. Folks, those things give you that chance, give you a better chance. My point, that 35% divorce rate is not about chances or odds of success or failure. It is just a blind number that literally tells us nothing. It lumps those of us who don't cheat or abuse or do things to their children in with those who have massive risk factors like cheating, like beating on their spouses or beating on their kids or abusing their children or pets or whatever have you. Lumps them all together and says that you all have the same odds. No, you don't. 
You have to avoid the chance of the risk happening to you. No. Because everything great in this world comes with risk. And oftentimes with really great risk. The stakes of marriage are quite high. They always have been, by the way. And they always will be because it's about procreation. It's about love and fidelity. But what does it say about our society that we cower in fear? Because also true to the Red Pillar's point, by the way, is that more or fewer people are actually getting married today. And I'll show you. The census data, the U.S. census data tells us this information. It tells us that divorce rate remained near record lows. Good news, except for this. Um, For every 1,000 marriages in 2021, only 13.6 ended in divorce, according to the calculations based on new census data. This is about the same level as it was in 2020 at 13.5 per 1,000 marriages and well below the pre-pandemic level in 2019 at 14.9 per 1,000 marriages when the U.S. divorce rate was also, by the way, at a 50-year record low, a 50-year low. That means divorce rates are about as low now as they were in the 1960s, folks. Hidden in that? there are actually fewer people getting married. So guess what? Statistically speaking, the red pillars and their fear-mongering have worked. There are fewer fewer people willing to get married, fewer people that are having these moments. We're a society that lives in fear instead of taking risk anymore. We are absolutely that society. Because we've been told by helicopter parents, we've been told by Dave Ramsey's and and all sorts of people, all of the things that you have to do to be successful. And if you don't do them, oh, no, 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 no. Dave Ramsey, if if you listen to him, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, what is he going to... What does he miss? Telling his personal story of great risk and then great success. And by the way, guess what? For every Dave Ramsey, there's probably about a thousand other people who fell flat on their face the first time, the second time, the third time. The American story is those who persevere, those who try, get knocked down, get back up, try again, over and over and over again. And that is the real story of marriage. That is the real reality of a marriage. You're going to have tough times. You're going to have difficult moments. It's how many times are you willing to get back up with each other? How many times does it matter to you that it's you and your partner, you and your wife or your husband and your family that matters over everything else? How many times? Well, folks, I hope you've thought about this. But here's the reality. It's not 50%, 75%. It's not 99% chance of failure. It's not even 35% chance of failure. It's about you. It's about you taking the risk. You also deciding that it's about more than yourself for once in a society that has become more and more and more and more selfish. Take the risk. It might be really, really rewarding. And yeah, someone, guess what? Sometimes it might be really, really painful. But pick yourself back up and try again. 
inside your marriage. Pick yourself up and try again and try again and try again. Talk to anybody who's been married for 40, 50 years. They're going to tell you about the dark times. And there some of them are really dark, really dark, that you may never have known about. Turns out red pillars are pretty bitter people who actually don't have a lot of experience with marriage. And even if they do, their experience is negative, so they're always going to find the negative. I'm not saying marriage is always positive. Not saying that. Marriage is hard work. But this is an institution for literally thousands of years for a reason. Because it's part of God's plan for us. And with that, folks, hopefully I've given you some things to think about here on Critical Thinking. Please be smart. Be safe. Be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, go pack, go. The bears still suck. And Matthew. 547. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.